What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1025 Podcast. This is our second episode. I am Jordan, along with Ashanti and Kristen. And this episode, Ashanti is going to be our moderator. So Ashanti, take it away. Hello, you guys. Welcome to the 1025 Podcast. Today, we have an array of interesting topics. And the first one is going to be comparison culture derived from media. So just to give you some context on that, we'll be talking about the cognitive dissonance that a lot of teens face now and how that affects us mentally throughout our life. Now, just to give you some sort of ground to work on, cognitive dissonance is basically the, the mental process. It's basically when previously held ideas slash expectation is contradicted by a newly introduced, introduced idea or idea of thinking. So when we put that into the perspective of like media and how we're raised like with media, children are basically conditioned through like images or like film or like, you know, just seeing things repeatedly over and over again. You can apply that to like how people, <clears throat> how people perceive romance uh, or romantic relationships or how people perceive relationships with their own family. Now the problem with is that after you reach a certain period in your life, you start to go out into the world on your own. And you realize that this fantasy, I guess, is, is not real. You're not able to meet these standards because it was your condition to believe that that's how things are when in reality, they aren't. And I personally believe that's why the anxiety, the rates of anxiety is so high in teens now or young adults, really. Rates of anxiety are high in general because people, the expectations aren't matching up with what we, but the real world is. Right. And I think that's very important for people to, you know, talk about is that the anxiety that me teenagers face while they're going out in the real world. You know, a lot of people, even at a young age, we have this idea that we can do anything that we put our minds to. But then when we go outside and try to go out in the real world and try to do that, sometimes we're like held back by certain things that, you know, are in our way, basically, you know, whether it's, you know, legal issues, you know, debt, many, many things. Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to frame this um, contradiction, especially with around social media. We're going to be talking about social media and its effects a lot in this podcast because it permeates into our everyday lives. For right. most the first thing they see when they wake up are their notifications, which leads them to log into Instagram and basically starts their day, fuels their day with misleading images. Uh, and that can be detrimental, not only to your perception of the world, but your own self-esteem. So um, has, that, has, this, uh, has this cognitive dissonance affected you guys in any way? Do you believe that what you were conditioned to believe as a child through media versus the expectations or this polar opposites and is it, is it harmful to you? Yes, because you have to constantly live up to this expectation of you. You have to have your license by a certain age, have your own car, your own house, get married all by a certain age. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it does affect people, especially like me, when I look at, you know, people with the nice car at a young age, you know, the nice house, it, it kind of, you know, not having the you know, student debt or none of that, it kind of gives you this like false sense of like, I can go out there and I could, you know, dr my dreams can come true, you know, and I can work hard and all that. Even the people who do work hard, they don't get as much of the credit or as much as like the 
certain type of wealth that other people do. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of the young people, if you go walking in like Lenox Mall, a lot of young people going in the Gucci store and all that. You know, it, it can affect people, especially social media, because everyone's, you know, everyone's into your personal life. Yeah. And you feel like you, you have to meet the standard, I guess, the expectation through like these materialistic items and like always buying, consuming, just all having everything, being in, fitting in with the fashion. I mean, that's a normal thing to want to do, but I feel like social media just mediates all of that. It, it is, media is just a common, it's a common. So people trying to achieve this, achieve this common can, can be really bad. Now, outside of the context of social media, I think that um, this being conditioned through media also affects how we view um, race and gender too. Now, for me at least growing up, I was conditioned to truthfully believe the stereotypes that were perpetuated in media black people. So many stereotypes of the black woman. And for me growing up in a predominantly um, white school and white area, I, I recognized that I was kind of trying to become that because that's what people were used to. I realized that if I were to fall into this um, expectation or what people were conditioned to believe how I should act, it would be easier for me to navigate. But ultimately, it, it just wasn't. It wasn't. So do you, do you guys, um, on the basis of race and um, gender, how has this conditioning made your life harder or how has it made you think made your life easier? Well, it doesn't. Well, I don't think so. Well, I think really, like, coming from someone who's grown up in a predominantly black neighborhood and went to school, you know, predominantly black schools and all that, I, I would say it did kind of affect me personally because of the fact that I was the one that kind of stood out from the rest. I didn't, I didn't have those stereotypes of like sagging pants and, you know, have talking like the hood, you know, all that. You know, a lot of people kind of said I talk me because I talk very proper so I talk white, which was very toxic. I, I think it's very toxic because it's saying that our race isn't as intelligent as, you know, everyone else. You know, it's, it's like we're supposed to act ignorant. We're supposed to have that, that um, broken type of language. That, yeah, the ebonics. Yeah, the ebonics yeah. that literally beat into our heads. You know? Yeah. Especially... Yeah especially in middle school. Yeah. I mean, people think that the African-American ebonics and slang and stuff is just has such a negative connotation, but you have to realize that people adopt this slang. It becomes sort of a pop culture. So right. as I, I was conditioned to think that, to think that it was bad. Yeah. And to, even though it was bad, I had to fall into that because that's what people expected me. I, and uh, the other side was me of me was like, these, this rich cultural and literature history of black people, even with the Ebonics, it's, it's so important to recognize it's, it shouldn't have a bad connotation. Right. This is history. This is African-Americans cultural context of existing in America. This slang, what's up sis? I have your back, like all that, all that. Or like exactly. a word that has like ER, you drop the ER and add an A to it, like playa, you know, all yeah. that. Yeah, all of that stuff. So, um, on the basis of gender, um, do you think that this conditioning has made your life harder or easier? And I want you guys to talk about, like, you don't have to talk about this specifically, but like in a romantic 
say? Do you feel like because of media, you're expected to, um, to kind of reach certain standards? And like when Definitely. you're talking about, or like being just a woman or being a man? I, I, I truly agree because I feel like as a man, I'm very conditioned to try to, um, how can I say this? Be, you know, better than everyone else. And I'm not saying that in a very cocky way. It's like I have to work extra hard to like get the job compared to another person or, you know, get that position, get accepted into a, a school and co- um, scholarships and all that. But I feel in a social world, it's like people are going to look at me more because it's like, okay, you're a black man. How, you know, how are you going to kind of break that stereotype that like hundreds of years have engraved in our heads? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say, Kristen? You were going to say. So I think the main struggle was just everyone had to be the baddest, the best looking, had to have the best shoes, best clothes, everything. Even I got a relaxer when I was little and I hated my hair so much growing up. And then I finally went after it. That was pressure from everybody. Yeah, I I, I honestly can relate to that because I remember when I was in elementary school onward, even when I was in high school and sometimes even now I'm in college, I used to have like waves and stuff. I couldn't, you know, wear my hair out naturally until I got in college where I truly have more of like uh, my own individuality. I can just express my hair, you know, naturally, wear it naturally. Of course, I'll still lay it down or whatever, but I just sometimes like wearing my hair out naturally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, embrace first, yourself, you know? Yeah, and really embrace yourself. But for me personally, I'm, I'm going to stick with gender on this one, even though what, what you guys were saying, how you present yourself is that versus how you were conditioned to believe you should present yourself. It's, it's a very tough choice as you're transitioning into adulthood because, you know, you have full domain over how, you, or you should have full domain over how you present yourself. Right. But that, that applies to gender too. And for me as a child, media conditioned me to think that I should be timid as a girl, that I should stay, that I shouldn't take up as much space, like literally in sociology. Well, I was learning last year that um, girls like all across spectrum, all across cultures are just, um, they're, they're built to think that they shouldn't take up enough space. And that's whether like vocally, like being quiet and not speaking, whether it's in a business arena or in school, being quiet, physically, just not taking up enough space, like being very timid. So I spent, um, I spent a good amount of my time thinking that that's just what femininity and femaleness is. It's just being very contained. I guess. And now I'm much more comfortable with being vocal about things. As you guys know, <laughs> I'm not that timid. Yeah. I was thinking how many empowered people have we let slip, possibly people that could become empowered at a younger age, have we let, not slipped through the crack, but just diminished because they've been conditioned to think this way. And for some people, you don't even think it was on that grand of a scale, but you guys remember in school, you would hear like, it would be that one girl who would say the answer out loud, like she would whisper it, and the person, the person next to her would like be like, "Ooh, I know the answer, I know the answer." Like I was that person. Mm-hmm. I've seen other girls, like um, in school and in the business arena, just just be like that. I think that's bad. Right. Yeah, I think it's it's very bad, and I feel like 
it's all based on like maybe self-love too you know if you i feel like because i used to be very timid when i was little too until i got into i believe middle school i tried to be a little bit more confident and then in high school and college of course it just went went, you know all out but yeah i feel like it's mainly self-love if you kind of be that very timid person you're gonna feel i i feel you're not gonna really feel good about yourself if you know what i'm saying like you're gonna think oh you're worthless and nobody like loves you and all that but then i feel when you open up it truly you know people are going to really think, man, this dude is actually really cool. And you don't even have to care about what people think of you. you It's just confidence, in my opinion, is king. Yeah. Yeah, did you um, have anything else you wanted to speak on, Kristen? Mm -hmm. Regarding this? Okay, well, that was our talk about um, adults' fear of not having have made it and how that transcends into later years of adulthood. Um, So... When we're talking in the context of um, social media right now, how do you think everything that's going on right now is going to affect us once we reach our once we once we reach our late twenties and early thirties and start forging like meaningful more meaningful bonds with people? Will we be able to forge those meaningful bonds? Or I hope so. I, I hope we can because I feel like even though social media has taken over many people's lives in the past, you know, decade, I still think, you know, when we reach our late twenties, early thirties and onward, I feel like we are going to have that ability to still form those relationships, still go out on those first dates, even though COVID is effing everything up right now, you know, form something that's going to last forever and maybe, you know, people's grandkids and their children's children will look back and say, man, you know, this legacy started with this dude. And it's like, it's crazy. You know, it's beautiful. Yeah. All right. One last thing I wanted to touch on about this is, so we were talking about reaching cultural milestones, getting your first car, buying your first apartments, um, to be beginning meaningful relationships, what age do you guys think people should be doing that? Or should there even be a certain age at all? Is it wrong for media to continue to create these standards? Like I, I don't have a car yet and I'm 19 years old and I used to be really guilty about that, but I literally just got my permit summer. I don't, I don't have a car and I'm about to be 20 in October. So like, but <laughs> yeah. I feel like, there's no, in my opinion, there's no age limit. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's some people who get their first car when they're 30. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not like, oh, this is what I'm going to use to propel myself in a social way. No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is something to get you from point A to point B. Same thing with clothes. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to wear this garment to, to you know, impress all the pe- popular kids in school. Like, no. These are clothes. These, this ain't exactly. This ain't nothing. Yeah. It's fabric, like right. But I keep going. Oh, but I don't think social media should have a say in these milestones because they're very significant to a person. It doesn't really matter what anyone else should think about it. Yeah. Because your intention was for it to be yours, not everyone else's. Exactly. Even but getting your first apartment, 
you can do that at any age you want to. Yeah. You can get your first car at any age you want to, first house, any of that. Right. There's no age limit to it, you know. Like I said, yeah. they first car when they 30. A lot of people get their first house when they 40. Doesn't matter, you know. You're not yeah. The, the goal is not trying to impress nobody. The goal, in my eyes, is just to live life. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, gradually reach these milestones at an right. age in your life where you're comfortable, and it's for you yourself to ha live a sustainable life, not to, you know, not to just throw out there on social media, like, I got my first apartment, guys. Like, that flat. That right. is what on a car and stuff, like, oh, my God, I got yeah. Honda Civic, like, no. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely be proud of the things that you have earned for yourself. I'm not shaming anyone who's done that. But I feel like yeah. overall, we, we generally are having a problem with now with people thinking that they're just not doing good. They're not good enough. Absolutely. Like, but, even during quarantine, it was pushing this whole idea of if you're not productive, what are you doing? You yeah. have all this free time, you're doing yeah. nothing. Right. We don't get relaxation time. Yeah. We don't like, get time to just be ourselves. Right. Like, even on Instagram, they were saying, if you don't come out with a skill during quarantine, then you just wasted your time. Like, some people just want to relax. Granted, yeah. was, and no, but, like, because it was so boring, but some people just want to relax. Some people just want to lay in bed and watch movies all day. Some people just want to maybe go out on a walk. Not everybody has to start that business, invest in stock in the stock market, start up a YouTube channel. You know, yeah. so let's just let you yeah. relax and live life. Yeah, productivity is a cornerstone of capitalism, and that's often why people become keep thinking in order to build their own capital. Well, that's how you build your own capital: consistently working all the time. But we have to start practicing, you know, self indulgence. We have to start. Practicing self-recovery, self-recovery, allowing ourselves to recover from just all, from feeling like you're being overworked all the time. That's essentially what's most important to me. Especially recover from everything that's going on in the world, from especially this year, 2020, everything from the pandemic and everything, the election that's coming up, you know. Yeah, it just major stressors. I mean, the life, there's stress. There's stress in life in general, but you, you really have to, especially with social media, we have to learn pull back to let go to stop allowing it to like seep into our subconscious and just really make us just hate the totality of life and all there's so much greatness that's yet to come but you'll be blinded by just wanting everything being greedy i guess not being greedy, but just being so focused on what everybody else has absolutely i'm like trying to build that capital but um yeah, I, I really like some of the points that you guys made um, when talking about this. And hopefully we'll be able to go a bit deeper um, on our next podcast about cognitive dissonance and how it affects teens and young adults. Okay, so the next topic um, is basically going over the military Me Too movement, specifically within Vanessa Gullion's case. Um, this is a case that was really disheartening to me over the summer because of how her military base treated it. Now, just to give you guys some context, Vanessa Goulian was a specialist. Well, they just, over the summer, they now named her a specialist after her disappearance, after her death. But she was a Fort Hood Army soldier. 
Um, she was raised and she was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And she was always, she was a pretty athletic person in school. She played um, soccer and I'm pretty sure she was on a track team. So, you know, as a, as an option, a post-secondary option or something to do after high school, I guess going in the military would be a good option. So Vanessa Goulian, she's a part of the Fort Hood base and um, in the spring of 2020, so this past spring, she actually ended up going missing. Now the context of how she went missing is kind of bizarre and startling to me because in um, the news coverage, they were basically saying her family's actually come out and said that before her disappearance, she was um, telling them basically about her, how she was sexually assaulted at Fort Hood, but how she was afraid to say something. So when she went back to the base, like I think it was like a month or a couple of weeks afterwards, that was her disappearance. It was on April 22nd. Um, and they found her body towards the end of June and early July. And basically, um, one of the other people in the same chain of command, it was Specialist Robison. He, um, he hasn't, well, I'm going to tell you guys about that. It was basically revealed that she was bludgeoned to death in the armory room, which is where both, both of them worked. They worked in a close vicinity. And she was, ended up being, um, they found her body like 30 minutes away from Fort Hood, like covered in cement. Um, they only um, found her body because some workers saw like a piece of her hair sticking out. And basically, so overall, the conversation is why, why should she... It's understandable why she was afraid to say something, but a lot of people, especially with this Me Too movement um, for the military, a lot of people are like, why is this happening at such high rates? Why is this happening at such undetected rates? And why are people afraid? Why are people afraid to, um, to report these cases? Because like I said, she was afraid to say that she was being sexually abused in the first place. And lo and behold, a couple months later, she ended up being killed. Now they're still looking into this case. We're not sure if Specialist Robinson was the one assaulting her, but just the context of everything is really startling. So um, how do you guys think the military um, should have handled this? Or like the military in general, sexual assault cases? I feel like the military, and even the workforce in general, women are, they, they're, they're treated very differently than men. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's corporate America, whether it's the military, as you said, and whether it's the entertainment industry. Women, they've been, damn. They've not been treated like as equally as men when it comes to like equal pay and all that. Now, I feel the military should have handled this like any other, I, I don't want to say any other law enforcement because law enforcement are very, any other institution, yeah. Any other institution. I feel like whoever, you know, murdered this woman, whether it was the, the guy that you said, I feel like he should be prosecuted and in jail. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, a lot of people's worries is that the Fort Hood sex trafficking goes deeper because they were actually never able to arrest Specialist Robinson. When yeah. the police committed suicide and his girlfriend was the one that um, eventually told them that I assisted my boyfriend in killing and mutilating Vanessa Boolean's body. And the thing is though, with Fort Hood, that is a, I, I was doing research on this before this video, mm -hmm. it's very notorious for a lot of shady activity. I've researched that um, one operative was like hung from a tree, you know, like Lynch style. Yeah. 
um, many people were killed in this, you know, facility. And I feel like people are now noticing, like, this is a problem right here. And people have to, people were even making petitions saying, you know, close this, you know, facility down, Fort Hood. I kind of think of it, I kind of think of with all the horror stories that's coming out from Fort Hood, like a maximum prison. Yeah. Like, I think of this similar to like Rikers Island, San Quentin, all that. These facilities that are known to be extremely violent and cause trauma to not only the families, but even the people who work there. Yeah. And just thinking of how the military operates, it's operated not only off of meritocracy, but I guess respectability. You respect the people that are training you and well, you're keen to respect them because they're above you, you know, it's a, it's a chain of relation and stuff like that. So personally, I understand why she was afraid to report it. But at the same time, um, they should have, at the same time, after she reported it to her family, they should have been able to move forward with that, which is um, what the bill that her family is pushing, the legislation that they're pushing, is so mm -hmm. that people are affected by sexual assault in the military aren't forced to report by a chain of command but are able to report to an uh, a neutral outside party because that would just i guess alleviate a lot of the fear because these are the people that you respect you're you're existing in this institution and you don't want to come forward talking about someone in this place of respectability has assaulted me has demeaned me yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think it's, it's interesting to see the military exist at an intersection with the Me Too movement. Yeah. I mean, we um, just um, the abuse from the military, like, well, in my lifetime, I, do you guys remember when they were talking about how queer people were treated in the military? Like, this was during mm -hmm. Obama, um, like the whole situation with that. So especially just being not like an outsider, but Vanessa Goulian as an ethnic woman, like just, mm -hmm. Just knowing the, the discrepancies that she probably faced in this institution is startling, too. Along paired with the fact that Fort Hood is like a, a horror story churn, like all this weird stuff just keeps on happening. So, mm -hmm. I, like, even during while they were looking for her body, they ended up finding someone else's body that yeah. they were, which were at Fort Hood. So, it, it's just a lot. It's really heavy on me. It's just so much to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And I even think of like the military Me Too movement very similar to the Me Too movement that's going on in the entertainment industry, you know, with um, many men in power being taken down because of, you know, their sexual assault cases like Harvey Weinstein, who I think got like 20 years in prison for the stuff that he was doing. So you kind of see the power that this movement has not not only this movement but like black lives matter and all that that power that our voices can really take down these people who have done very horrible things and i i really hope in the future that fort hood is closed down so no other person can um go through this you know these are soldiers these are fighting for our freedom so the fact that they're being killed and treated this way i i think is unacceptable yeah, an excellent Julian was. She was very enthusiastic um, to have been admitted into Fort Hood and to participate in, I guess, the Fort Hood environment. And it is tragic to see something like this happen to her, especially with her being an ethnic woman. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, was there 
else that you guys um, wanted to bring up or talk about on this case? No. Uh, I guess not. not. All, right. All right. Okay. So um, next we'll be moving to something related to COVID-19. Actually, we'll be discussing college during COVID-19. How is dorm life? Um, did you have any like general fears of returning back to campus? And how our college has mandated um, COVID, how to operate within COVID-19 happening right now? So personally, I think that our school is doing a lot better than other schools in our state. We're from Georgia. Mm -hmm. Georgia Tech reported like last week over 155 students um, have self-reported um, cases. I know UGA, I'm not sure about that, but I've heard from friends that it's, it's not looking so good. Yeah. So, well, I guess you guys can speak for yourselves. Like, how are you feeling now? Yeah, piggybacking off what she said, I think UGA, UGA is really not doing good when it comes to COVID-19 cases. And I'm thinking that I'm just like, okay, because I know, um, I think class of 2020, they have to graduate. I think the graduation mm -hmm. is August. So I'm, no, not in August, October. So I'm thinking, okay, how is that going to work? You know what I'm saying? Because even when COVID-19 started in America, I'm thinking, okay, how are schools going to be affected by this? But as far as West Georgia is concerned, I think we are doing better when it comes to social distancing and all that. You go to the dining hall, you can take out your food instead of like sitting in, even though you can. Um, yeah. The East Commons market is closed way earlier, which I think is kind of whack, but it's whatever. But I just think if we can get, you know, if we can just follow the guidelines six feet apart and wear our mask and don't and wash our hands, of course, wash our hands, hopefully we can really do good and beat it so that this virus can just. I don't want to say go because let's be real, it probably is never going to go. Hopefully, it will. Hopefully, it will. I'm back to normal life. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, can you guys hear me? Yeah. My phone's doing this weird mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we are, especially with the size of our school, not, we don't, in comparison to the other the state schools, we don't have many people going here so it is easier to like sector up classes like create a new schedule and stuff like that so there's not too many people in the classroom but okay. especially for me, one of my main concerns with all the articles I read over the summer is how will college students bear the burden of having to be responsible for themselves now I mean you're in a college environment you're supposed to practice professionalism that's the whole point of coming to college is to basically institute that way of like self-responsibility, I guess. But in the wake of a whole epidemic where you're responsible for not only yourself, but the people around you, um, a lot of the articles I read was just like, are students really going to follow these guidelines? Is it really going to be that easy to um, shepherd 18, 19, and 20 year old people? I mean, especially when you're up against parties and friends and hangouts and kickbacks and all this other stuff and, yes. you know, Virus killed many people. It's like just stay in your room sometimes, but mm -hmm. uh, no, Jordan. What about to say, Kristen? So 
my main thing is just learning. We're very structured, and however, it feels as though we have no structure. Because I remember even the first and second week here, it felt like every single day was a Friday to everybody. Yeah. Like no one even was doing homework, and I was just like, so what are we going to do? Right. Every day's a Friday. Yeah. And that's not a good thing, though. Yeah. Okay. Structure. I, I just have to end. Right. The lack of structure, I feel, plays heavily throughout this whole pandemic. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, with me, I like going to class Monday to Thursday, and then Friday through Sunday, just, you know, chill, study, all that. Now, it's like most of everybody's classes are online. It's like, well, shoot, it's, it's still summer, if we being real. Like, Yeah. Yeah, I like to comment you bit on how there is a general lack of structure, not only federally, but like statewide and how we are responding to COVID-19. I think that in public schools and universities, when we're talking about Georgia, at least there was not the plan was not that great. The plan that they instituted was not that great. So now you have students that are kind of shifted to these hybrid classes. And I was talking to my mom earlier today and she said, that her main concern with that, it actually happened, is that what if something goes wrong with the computer and can't log in, or what if it doesn't let her log in? She just mm-hmm. lost the full like hour and a half class, and it actually did happen. She wasn't able to log into her Zoom, so they had to email their teacher, and the teacher got back to them later, and she gave her the work with like all that other stuff. So it essentially does mess with um, the casualness of being able to go to school and learn in a school environment. So I personally feel like this is going to affect us overall with. Um, with with how we learn in an online environment and how that's going to affect us like over the next few semesters over the next few years like how deep do you think this impact of having to learn in a new style is going to be like i'm asking you guys i think even with oh, i'm sorry no, no, you go <laughs> go <laughs> so which one was gonna go you all right. So even with, I don't know if y'all know this, but Zoom crashed earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So that's what happened. Yeah. Because <laughs> so many people are using it that it crashed. Yeah. That's probably why. So I'm not going to be in a class at that time. I know. And it crashed. You'd miss your whole lesson for the day. And I know how much that affects me because I say to class today at 930. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do it. So I had that over Zoom and the audio cut out. So that stopped me from learning whatever she said during that segment. Yeah. So does your teacher have like a backup plan for you? I know what my teacher is doing, but I wanted to know like what y'all are going through. Do they have a black backup plan in the instance that the Wi-Fi isn't working, in the instance that you can't log into Zoom? Do they have like files you can go to where you can complete work for a grade or like or my, sure yeah like my professors they have on course then they have like everything that we're going to do whether like from assignments quizzes all that and when it comes to like zoom my teachers especially my oral communication and art teacher they use a uh, collab ultra so that's like zoom but built into course then and it's really it's, it's just cool because it's like 
my professors are like, here's everything we're going to be talking about. Here's everything. Like, you can go from the first assignment to the last assignment we're doing, and boom, you're, you're set. But I think, personally, when it comes to students learning in a different, you know, format now online as compared mm-hmm. to sitting down in the classroom, I feel like it might affect them later on in the future. Hopefully, when we all graduate, you know, the kids that are coming in, they're probably going to be like, oh, we could just, this, everything's online. We ain't got to get up and go, you know, sit in a classroom. Because some people work better in a classroom than online. Like, people mm-hmm. Right. It's facts. You know, and I think maybe this might affect people's, like, as far as, like, the curriculum, the grades and all that, like, GPAs and all that. But if you're good with online classes, you, you're really straight. But if you're not, then you up shit creek without a paddle, basically. Dang. But also, you have to... Go. <laughs> okay. So one of my classes, actually, a student got COVID, so he had to switch completely to online. And we have nothing. We just have PowerPoints to read off. We have no homework. Seriously? No quizzes, no nothing. So I feel like I'm not actually learning anything because I can't test my ability. Yeah. And people are quick to go on, like, Quizlet and Socrative and all that. Yes, I'm dropping the plug, but, I mean. Okay. (laughs) It's like, screw studying. Let's just. Like, a lot of people be like that, especially this group chat. I mean, it's like, screw studying. Just look it up on Quizlet. But I'm like, when that midterm and that final come, it's like, Quizlet not going to be there for you, especially if it's Proctor. It won't. Right. Especially if it's Proctor. So somebody actually looking at you through the, the computer is like, no. But for the majority of my classes, I only have midterms and finals. We don't have anything in between. Wow. You know how much pressure that is? So you have the responsibility of a teacher now, basically. Right. Are y'all are y'all good teachers? I mean uh, no? Hey, I'm 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 a little rusty, but I admire all my teachers and I can't do it. Yeah. I got an eighty three on my philosophy quiz and I literally just read, I literally just watched the video of him speaking, my teacher speaking, I was just like, screw it, let's just do it. And I, I was proud of myself. Yeah. So staying on the same um, stream of thought about having to take the burden of responsibility, being self-accountable for yourself in this new learning environment, let's talk about how so- social distancing has been mandated on our campus and campuses across America. So I know West Georgia, of course, they have the six feet apart rule, of yeah. course, um, introducing new like get your food from the campus halls and stuff like that. But I, I, I personally feel like they should have, um, they should have, um, do you guys remember at the beginning of the summer, they said they would give us equipment, equipment for COVID-19, which was, a, which is what I'm guessing will be like mask and like um, face masks and like stuff like hand sanitizer and like cleaning wipes. So we never got that package. What we got was literally, we only got like these masks, which hug my face and it's just like yeah like this mess is literally like i'm wearing a bra on my 
not, yeah. Like, this yeah. It's right here. Right. Like, even if I shit. They gave those free masks out at tables and during the hall meeting. Right. Yeah, it was packaged hall. It yeah. was not packaged. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, like, in a package itself. And they didn't give us the, like, fall package to help fight COVID-19, which is very simple. A lot of institutions have um, got kind of fallen back financially. They might not have even been able to do that. But creating the illusion of false hope, which is what American has, which was what America has been doing this whole entire time, it, it, that's kind of bad. I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't have came back if they had known the school wasn't going to give us, you know, the tools that they promised us towards the, like, middle, the midway of this all during the summer. I've seen people wear those, like, I've seen people wear, like, those little riot gear helmets where it got, like, the little glass thing. I'm just, like, dang, like, in the back of my mind, I was thinking they probably stole that from the, the protest that was going on, but. Wow, you're funny. Okay. Funny. Don't, don't flame me. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so have you guys been social distancing? How easy is it to social distance on a college campus? I mean, for me, it's extremely easy, extremely easy. Just you be quarantined in your room all the time. Like, I be in my room damn near every day. Like, let's be real. You know, Jordan. I know. But even when I'm with y'all, it's just like, forget social distancing. Let me just be with my friends. But it's like something clicks in my head, like, yeah. Social distance is coming back. I got to catch y'all later. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know. Y'all know. No, I, I get it. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like, like two parts of you, like a double consciousness. Double conscious, the angel and the demon. On your yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I want to hang out with my friends, but also at the same time, humanity's kind of sick and die. Yeah. Like, it do better, but. But I think some people are also taking a very relaxed look at it because a lot of people are saying, oh, everyone already has COVID anyway, so they think they can do whatever they want. But that's not how it works. Right. Yeah. 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 Because just because you assume people already have it does not mean you should just do whatever you want. Because COVID is serious. You can die from it, even if you are our age. Because I remember when I got back home, my mom did not know that people our age could die from it. We, we can still die from it. We just have a low chance of dying from it. And our yeah. immune system is more advanced, and respiratory system is more advanced compared to, like, a 70, 80, 90, 100-year-old person. It's stabilized. Yeah. We still have a stabilized, intact immune system. So that was kind of um, one of the moral obligations I had over the summer was not really going anywhere because I interact with my grandmother a lot of the time and she's like in her early 60s. So it was kind of like you were saying before that double and angel double consciousness is like I, I, I'm responsible. I'm responsible for myself and others around me. Wow. And speaking of the people that you interact with at home, how does your parents feel with you like coming back to college? I mean... It was like, it was like my mom was more like she was like equipped, ready, gave me like, y'all know, 50 billion masks, cleaning supplies, put these, wear these gloves and all that. So she wasn't really worried because she kind of knows that, you know, I can navigate around something like this. But 
like like what Ashanti was saying, like I was with my grandma mother a lot during the summer, and she was saying, "Oh, it's not real. Oh, it's fake. All all stuff like that." And I'm just like, "Look at the the death toll. This has killed what eight hundred and like." around like 200,000 by Labor Day. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Yeah. Um, so they're def a lot of speaking on people kind of believing that this whole thing is like a fable, a fallacy. Do you think that's because of how it's been politicized over the past couple of months? Definitely. Because even some people are saying after our financial aid is paid or after the elections are done, COVID will just be over gonna be over right people 2021 you know comes around then oh the virus is gonna be like all right i did my work peace and leave ah. <laughs> like it's not how viruses work you need to have a vaccine and i, yeah. and I yeah. think i was reading something before we you know started filming i think they said that they're gonna have a vaccine ready by i believe april of 2021 i think the spring going into the phase of 2021. Yeah, so Jesus Christ, but let's uh -huh. see what happens. Uh -huh. Yeah, so um, I think we've all come, we should all have come to the general consensus that COVID 19 is real, it's affected all of us um, in our daily lives, education, our familial relationships. Right. Now, then I wanted to ask you guys. One last question. All right, we got ask. <laughs> ask me what it is. Ask me what it is. What ask, is it? Are you guys ready to move on to our literature slash shoutouts of the week? I mean, yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I should, I should, but basically. Mm -hmm. I think we're gonna like, I think we're gonna try and like jump around. Well, of course, if you're the moderator, you can do this if you want to. But I, I really guys to like podcast literature that you like, youtubers that you feel like kind of speak to us and that we can yeah because we've done that with each other and i feel like it will be a fun thing to do on our platform okay. all right so the first book i have is eloquent rage by Brittany cooper i'm going to do like a short synopsis of each thing uh it basically this book then well first i'm going to tell you who Brittany cooper is Brittany cooper is a contemporary black feminist who has just done an excellent job of articulating the experience of being a black woman in America right now. But her literature is just absolutely exceptional and speaks to me. Now, she, you guys have to go check it out. So Eloquent Rage basically, overall, it denounces gradualism or slow and steady change in regards to civil rights. The eloquency of being enraged by the political system of America is empowering because it pushes for change. And I know I, I, I'm a hypocrite because I was out here um, talking about these microwave activists, y'all ain't about to do all, all this other stuff, but essentially that, that horsepower, that human power of just being of being mad and ready to do something is a pivotal, is a necessary thing in being in a democratic nation. Because that that's what gets people to vote. That's what gets people to start all these coalitions. So, um, and reading this book, you'll definitely take on a different perspective and not only protesting, but being vocalized about change. Okay. And the next book is actually a book that Kristen 
has been reading for quite some time. Um, it's, I'm really happy that you read this book because now I need to read it. It's Souls on Ice by Eldritch Cleaver. And it's basically a compilation of like letters and like his own personal accounts during the Black Panther movement. Now, one of the most, how do I write this? One of the most infamous moment infamous moments in Eldritch Cleaver's career in like the public spotlight, I guess, or being a part of the Panther movement was how he used black women to kind of push the Panther movement. He yeah. it's what we're doing right now is using black women as pawns for these social movements. Um, and Kristen basically highlighted in the book that he sexually assaulted, he used black women as practice targets for sexual assault to practice how he was going to sexually assault um, a white woman. So it's interesting how we can contextualize this and put it into now to how black women are brutalized. Um, the people in the forefront of these movements are brutalized at the expense of, you know, like pushing for these civil rights. Right. And lastly, I have another thing that Kristen put me onto, which is basically a climate change awareness group called This Is Zero Hour. It's basically a youth-led initiative fighting for political action in regards to climate change, but it also highlights the fact that just because we're young doesn't mean we're not paying attention. Just because we're young doesn't mean that we're not going to have a future, essentially. We're not going we're not going to be exist in the same ways that we do right now. There is a future ahead of us. We are accountable. Everyone needs to be held accountable to this future. And I, a lot of the voices I saw on This Is Zero Hour platform are so empowering. They're around the same ages as us. I can't recall their names right now because I was just introduced to them. But I want you guys to go, to go check up on them. Well, Kristen already left. I want you to go check up on them, Jordan. I want everyone that's possibly watching this right now to um, just go to their page and kind of look at what their initiative is all about. Uh, I got you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and their Instagram at is this is zero hour, and you can just look it up on Google. All right. That's yeah. So I, this is um, what I bid you guys to do as being a moderator. Let me take my moderator cap off. Rest of the show. Yay! It was really fun talking okay. to you. <laughs> Bye. All right, y'all. Thank y'all for watching the 1025 Podcast. I'm Jordan, along with Ashanti and Krista, and we will see you next time. Peace. Bye.